All right, all you future podcasters out there, let me tell you about something you need to be aware of. I've been looking for different platforms to put my podcast into, and it's kind of confusing. There's a lot out there, a lot of them that charge you, but I found something that you need to hear. There's a platform called Anchor. Now, you need to understand, this one is free. There's no monthly fees, no yearly fees, no fees of any sort, no sign-up fees. It is free. Now, the best thing about it is that it's free and it comes with so many different tools. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now, then one of the other neatest things is that Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. All you do is upload your podcast. Anchor handles all the rest. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. First podcast you put up, you can start making money. Now, it's everything you need to have in one place to make a podcast. So, pay attention to this part. It's very important. Go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M or download the free Anchor app to get started. Strong Drink, an article published in 1879. It will never cease to be true that the cornerstone of the commonwealth is the hearthstone. The men who wear the robe of state and sit in high places do not go down as we do into the seed plots, the homes, and witness the broadcast sowing for evil which is going on there. But they must see what grows up from this seed. In all the unspeakable horrors of our streets at night, the increasing pauperism with which they have to deal, and the hundred other noxious weeds we have no heart to mention. The connection between seed and plant is as true in the moral world as in the natural. Those who are determined to make themselves acquainted with things as they actually exist know well that we have around us an ever-increasing number of people who have, through the influence of intoxicating drink, become so morally and physically degraded and weakened that they have no power left to resist temptation or to stand by any purpose formed for good. To such... The presence or absence of temptation is literally life or death. Their one and only chance is to be sheltered from the enemy long enough to allow time for the shattered nerves, the enfeebled health, 
and the moral resolution to regain a little strength. Alas, for them, that they live in England, in this time of their deep, their deepest need. At a recent large and influential meeting held in Glasgow, one of the speakers referring to this subject said, Our laws have allowed working men's families to be surrounded with a perfect cordon of destruction. The rich and powerful and influential members of society are able to keep away the liquor traffic from their squares, terraces, and gardens. But the poor are not suffered to escape. As one evidence among many, proving what numbers there are who would give anything to get this shelter, I will mention that I know a lady who has devoted the whole of her fortune to establishing a home in London for reclaiming intemperate women. The house she has opened will receive but thirty, and is attended and adapted for the poor. Yet during the first ten months she had five hundred applications, forty of which were from members of titled families. When dealing with our little children, who have not lost, but have not yet attained to the power of knowing good from evil, we do not expend ourselves in arguing with them about the destructive nature of fire. We place a guard before our nursery grates, and then we know they are safe. The state has now to do with tens of thousands of people who have sunk below the feebleness of little children and who are even more incapable of taking care of themselves. Did it take its true place as father to the nation? It would busy itself, not in throwing open the fire wider and still wider, but in devising barriers over which its maimed and scorched children could not pass. On my way home one Saturday afternoon, I observed a woman coming in the opposite direction. The expression of her face struck me very much. It was not the quiet, deep sorrow we so often see, but a look of fierce, desperate grief. I could not help fearing she was planning mischief for herself or others, and as we passed, I laid my hand gently on her shoulder and said, I thank you. Have some great trouble. Without attempting a word of explanations, she said, He is doing of it again, he is. He has spended all his money for weeks and weeks, and I know he is at it again. I know he is. We are all at most starved now, and shall soon be quite. It was the very worst thing they had ever did to make this here half-holiday. They hadn't used to have time to spend all their money, but now they have, and they spend it most all afore we see them. I wish I was dead. I do. I said, I wish the public houses were dead, and then perhaps you would care to live and be glad of the Saturday half-holiday. They dead indeed, she said scornfully. They'll never die. Why, they gets most all our money. This woman, without being conscious of it, 
probably gave us in her last sentence the true reason of the peasant depressed state of trade if it be a fact that the public houses do get most all our money then there can be little left for other trades by a calculation made some years ago it was found that the average sum expended actually by each individual in the united kingdom on cotton amounted to seven shekels or one dollar by the side of this statement we were told that the sum expended by each on intoxicating drinks amounted to four pounds five shekels or five dollars the author of this information went on to say that if one shilling per head could be taken off the drink side and put on to the cotton, it would increase the trade in that commodity one-seventh. The shilling, however, did not go from the publican to the cotton merchant. It went the other way. At the end of last year, it was calculated that the average expenditure for each one on intoxicating drink amounted to four pounds, 10 shillings. And the cotton trade was more depressed than ever. The shilling gone over to the public house means more rags, dirt, disease, and death. On the cotton side, it would have meant in the trade, mills running full time, all hands employed at good wages, and in the home, great increase of domestic comfort. I once entered the home of a skilled artesian, earning about three pounds per week. The mother was sitting on a deal case turned bottom upwards, for there were no chairs in the room. She was washing her baby in water out of a jam pot. There appeared to be no basin in the house. When the washing was finished, the baby was laid upon a heap of straw, for there was no bed to be seen. I noticed a piece of strong tied round the edge of the jam pot and passed over it so as to form a handle. As I became better acquainted with this family, I found that the jam pot, besides serving as a wash basin, was sent to the public house for beer. Tea was occasionally made in it, and it held potatoes at dinner time. It was indeed a kind of maid of all work in the family, and for keeping its situation so long was indebted to the fact that its value at the pawn shop was nil. The master and mistress of this miserable home were both inveterate drunkards. Five children had sunk under the intolerable wretchedness of their lot and there were three living this father and mother signed the temperance pledge and kept it faithfully in less than 15 months after this change in their habits their home presented an aspect which might have made it an object of envy to their neighbors they had been customers to the ironmongers upholsterers cabinet makers drapers and as to crockery they had not only for use but for ornament nothing necessary to the comfort of a home had been overlooked and all was paid for without the aid of one shilling from charity 
They had not only helped themselves, but helped the tradesmen around them, making it easier for them also to live, and pay their wages and get on. What is indeed to dispel the commercial de depression, which at the present time so afflicts our country, is to be able to say of other traders, and not of public houses, they get most all our money. The desecration of the Sabbath, which all it involves, is perhaps the very worst aspect of our painful subject. It is on the Saturday, and the day we call holy, that the money is principally expended which leaves the home in a destitute condition for the rest of the week. The police reckon on Saturday and Sunday evening as their very worst times. The magistrates who sit on the bench on Monday mornings have many more cases to deal with than any other day. Sunday is emphatically our worst day instead of our best. The reason assigned for allowing this unhallowed traffic to go on through the Sunday is that travelers need refreshment. We have no statistics from which we can gain correct information as to the average number of persons to whom traveling on Sunday is a necessity. Not long since a census was taken in a London parish on Sunday night, when not less than 20,000 persons were found in the drink shops and gin places of only that one parish. It is likely that out of this vast number who use these open houses to their own destruction and the ruin of their families, even one in a hundred could be justly reckoned as a bona fide traveler. Surely a nation so clever, so rich in resources, could, if it tried, find some way of feeding this small section of the community without sacrificing the national morality of going right in the teeth of the divine law it has pledged itself to adopt. But supposing nothing can be substituted, which is the least evil of the two, inconvenience to the traveler, or the wreck of so many homes. If the choice is whether the traveler is not to be well fed on that day, or the little children be cruelly starved for seven days for want of their father's money, can one hesitate between the two? Travelers are usually strong men. Surely they can devise some way of taking care of themselves. The little children cannot get food unless it is brought to them. Their very helplessness is a cry to the strong. Their very helplessness is a cry to the strong to bear infirmities of the weak, and not to please themselves. As I have said, the drink interest is very unmanly. It takes care of its strong ones and lets the weak go to the wall. Our poor young girls and the little children are its chief victims. If we are to have no Sunday closing bill for England... If the public houses are to remain in their present numerical force, carrying on their trade far into the night, then we will still work on, doing all we can to save the few. But they will become fewer, and still fewer. The ground on which we stand slopes, and we must either turn 
or rush downwards. A multitude beyond all computation have already fallen below the power needed to pass by the temptation. And each one that drops is somebody's father or mother, husband or wife, son or daughter. Yet we know they will, with rare expectations, perish in their sins, and all from a preventable cause. I do not say that God cannot rescue them. There is no limit to his pardoning, restoring mercy for all who repent. But the only means of deliverance we can supply is to cut off the temptation. Surely those who treat this matter lightly have never watched any they have loved go down, lower, lower, and still lower, until lost is for them the only word that can be used. Even the comfort of knowing they died by the visitation of God is withheld, for we know it was not the visitation of God, but the visitation of Satan which caused this dire calamity. And if another thought we need to make this dark picture still darker, we have it in the fact that it is by no means only the lowest and most degraded of our countrymen and women who fall under this awful scourge. Its favorite victims are selected from those endowed with the finest genius and the first intellectual capacity. When we lose our dear ones from disease or accident or old age, we look up to God for comfort. In a while, we can talk quietly of them to friends with sympathies, with our grief, and remember with thankfulness all the joy they were to us in their lifetime. But what thousands upon thousands there are who today, every day, are weeping in silence and solitude over the graves of those who were dearer to them than life, yet whose names they never mention for the shame connected with them. The Reverend Stinton Eardley, when speaking at a temperance meeting a short time ago, said, If I had nothing else to judge by but the dismantled crafts the broken planks, the waifs and wrecks which drift up to my own door, I should say, what an awful storm there must be raging out at sea. And so there is. There is no such destruction at work anywhere as that caused by the demon of drunkenness which is raging all around us. And unlike the storm at sea, this storm could be quelled by human agency.